Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The biggest rib I've ever perpetrated on myself was hey, buy a wrestling company. It'll be fun, they said. Hey, hey. What does everybody want? Alto up on the barricade. Yeah. Oh! <laughs> Alto is sliding out of the way, and Alto just stepped that table in half. What does everybody need? Alto toss into the Mississippi River. That water has got to be 35, 40 degrees. I didn't screw the head. I didn't screw the head. My head screwed the head. What does everybody If I were doing any better, I'd be jealous of myself, Tom. <laughs> That's good to know. I'm really glad that we've got this time together because I get a chance to, to thank you for being the only person on, I think, the entire planet who is doing Twitter right. You're the only oh, person. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Life, how, life, is, life is far too far too serious. Everybody gets very oh, cross yeah. on Twitter. I go to your yeah. Twitter specifically to have an, an immediate laugh because all you do is share not only stuff that you're doing, but uh, the, the greatest dad jokes that ever happened. Uh, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. I, um, you know, I just feel like it's better to try and make people smile. And, you know, we've got enough aggravation in the world. And uh, Twitter is such a poor means of communication. Um, I had um, read a, a psychologist had said that Twitter was uh, because of its abruptness and its succinctness of only 240 characters that um, it tends to lend itself to the negative and uh, more of a knee jerk type reaction. And um, so I try to try to use social media to more put a smile on people's faces than to, to get into arguments and debate um ideas and thoughts in only 240 characters i don't think you can quite sufficiently do that so, no but people certainly try and most cases fail to do so which is yeah yeah so we just put up stupid jokes you know do they get road tested al uh yeah yeah a few of them do um my poor wife you know who i i use a lot in the jokes a lot of times sometimes those are just actual occurrences that have happened in our lives that um, she just stares at me blankly, like, "What? What did I marry?" So <laughs> they're normally the ones that you go for when it's when you say it to a loved one, and their reaction is just utter shock and disappointment. Those are the, normally yeah. the best ones. Yeah, I, I, I was being totally serious when I I told her. I said, "God, you know, one of the greatest sports I ever I've I've ever witnessed is Amish break fighting." And she just sat there like, like. Like she, because she knows I'm telling the truth. Like I've actually witnessed Thomas Rake fight, and then you know, and then it's you can see in her like the thoughts are going across her head. Like she, she's trying to discern. Like is he kidding? Is he serious? He's probably serious. 
but I can't understand or relate to what he's doing. Should I, should I put him over and make him feel like, oh yeah, I like that too, or should I just look at him like with a befuddled look? So it usually <laughs> ends up with just a befuddled look. So. Who who do you follow on Twitter that you enjoy? Uh, you know, I follow a lot of uh, wrestling. I try to keep up with. Uh, there's a guy, K. Trevor Wilson's a tremendous comedian. Um, he is in a great show uh, called Letterkenny. If you if you have Hulu, um, you can check it out. The episodes are uh, really they're very short. They're maybe sometimes eighteen to twenty five minutes long, um, and usually there's only seven to maybe ten episodes a season. But the um, the dialogue the is so intelligent. You've really got to pay attention to pick up on the humor, and then that and I really appreciate that. That, that it's very intelligent. Very quick-witted humor. It's very good. And that one's on Hulu, you say? Yeah, that's on Hulu. Um, and um, K. Trevor Wilson plays Squirrely Dan on the show. And uh, there's a uh, one episode. Um, it's an, They always do an opening scene, like prior to the opening of the show. And um, it's uh, the three characters, the three friends, K. Trevor Wilson, Squirrely Dan, Derry, and... Um, God, I forgot the main guy's name, the main character. And they're, they're throwing a baseball back and forth with mitts, and they're passing it between the three of them. And Squirrely Dan um, starts to talk about a date he had had the night before. And, you know, wanted, you know, kiss and tell type of thing. And, uh, you know, the guys are listening, and they continue to throw the baseball. And it's so subtle. And at first, you don't quite catch it. But he start, he, he divulges that, in the date, uh, in, he has a, a, a speech impediment where he put, adds S's to every word. He make, pluralizes every word, whether it needs to be a plural, or pluralized or not. And he taught, he reveals that uh, the girl put her fingers up his butthole. And the minute <laughs> he now starts talking about this, um, Derry and, and um, the other guy, they start to throw the baseball just between the two of them. They stop including him. And he just keeps revealing more and more about the experience and they get more and more uncomfortable. And you, you can tell it because they start throwing the ball more elaborately. They're pitching it underhanded and, you know, doing pop-ups and things like that so that they can try to ignore him without really putting over the fact that they're ignored. It's just, it's just brilliant. in it's in its uh, uh, subtlety the whole time he's, finally catching on and he's like you know what i i liked it i enjoyed it it was you know and he starts getting worked up so it's 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 a hilarious show i think we all discovered those great tv shows especially like during the last 18 months where all we've had is just to sit and and just oh yeah binge watch stuff so is that yeah, one that you discovered yeah. during lockdown mm -hmm. yeah it was you know what i found because i love i think i love irony um i think it's the, it's the greatest uh form of humor is irony uh, because we're surrounded by it every day and i i the biggest ironic thing about the lockdown was prior to the lockdown on all social media all you read all you heard was oh, i hate people i don't want to be around them oh, i wish i could just stay home all day <laughs> and then 
hey, careful what you wish for. <laughs> Surprise. Look what happened just a couple months later. Surprise. Now you don't get to be around people and you get to be home all day. You know? <laughs> See, you know, my, congratulations. My good, my good lady had that same thing because she she always suffered from like from FOMO, from fear of missing out. And all of a sudden when the world stopped, as awful as it all was, she went, I don't feel bad about not going out anymore. Like this <laughs> I don't feel like I'm missing out on any parties. This is great. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not missing out on anything. <laughs> exactly. The one place where you may feel quite uh, abandoned is a desert island. And uh, we are going to send you metaphorically to a desert island today, Al. And... I know the one thing I would take with me that no one ever says. Oh, go on. A boat. <laughs> it's cheating. You can't. <laughs> oh, well, then I'd have to bring my VH copies of Amish, Amish rake fighting so I could watch well you know what you could take those and you'll be able to take with you three wrestling matches that you love that you'll watch whilst you are on the i do want to take one last thing if i can of course you can the professor from gilligan's island because lord knows he made everything out of coconuts so brilliant except for a boat to get off the island (laughs) he'd make a radio out of a coconut but he could not make a boat again you're saying things that no one has ever suggested that they take now so as well as taking mm. the professor, as well as taking uh, 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 no, and no, ginger boat, and Marianne, you could take maybe ginger, um, but you could take enough time on the island. I could take Mrs. Howell too. Well, <laughs> hang on, easy tiger. Um, mm. But if you make all sorts of things, <laughs> make all sorts of things out of coconuts in that sense. Um, but as well as that, so it's three wrestling matches uh, that mean have some significance to you uh, that you can watch whilst you're there. So we'll go through them as we chat today. But what would you sure. like your, your first one to be, Al? Uh, I think my first one was, uh, geez, when I was maybe 11 or 12 years old, we had just uh, gotten cable television. Now, this is how old I am, because cable television back then um isn't what it was what it is now um you got 13 broadcast channels but of those 13 the one that i did get was wtbs which was the first national uh television station broadcast station in the united states and um we were able to get georgia championship wrestling now where i lived uh was was originally was the original sheik's territory and um you know we had uh he ran till i think these i think probably 74 somewhere and he went out of business and um um so i didn't have any any wrestling whatsoever on tv for uh several years until uh, wtbs came in and i never forget flipping through the 13 channels and um happening upon Dusty Rhodes coming through the crowd in a white t-shirt that was torn, bleeding, because he was the special referee for at the Omni that night for um, um, Ivan Koloff and Ole Anderson, who had the Georgia Championship tag team titles facing off against uh, Tommy Wildfire, Rich, and uh, Wahoo McDaniel, I believe it was. And um, they have... So the angle was that they had jumped, you know, Ole and Ivan had jumped uh, Dusty in the parking lot to keep him from being the referee. And, and and I've read a story Dusty told about that where he had literally gotten lost trying to get back in the building and went in the wrong door. And that's why he was coming through the audience um, instead of down the aisle with the shirt torn and the blood. And it just 
the moment I saw that, I was like, that this is it. Like I was, I was captivated. I was like, but so if anything, caught up. that really enhanced the experience of watching him having to like go through the back door to get back into the match. Yes, yes. And it was it was just totally by happenstance that he came to the audience instead of down the aisle. You know, so is there is there um, a moment from that one? This this could be your first match then, this this belt of a tag match from Georgia. Is there a particular moment from that match outside of like dusty, bloodied, battered, falling through the crowd? Is there one other moment that you remember from it? That was that was the major moment. That was the major one. And then he came in and he, you know, he took fought against Ole and G Ole and uh, Ivan and uh, you know, the place erupted and it was just an, an incredible moment. Just, you know, the whole, the whole scene, you know, and just happening upon that as a, as a kid, you know, I was, that was it. I was complete. So how old were you old. then as a kid then when you saw this? I'd say probably, you know, I was 12, I would imagine, you know, that would have been probably around 1976, I think somewhere in that area. Um, so I was probably 12 years old, maybe, uh, yeah, 12 or 13, um, in that area. And then when I was 14, I made the decision that I wanted to be a professional wrestler and, and then began to pursue attempts at doing that, which were, um, you know, uh, met with, uh, I basically, I would, um, find, uh, the wrestling magazines that listed the offices and what city they were in, in the United States. And, um, I would then walk because i didn't have a driver's license at that point um to the local library um they had uh the uh, white pages for uh, all the cities all the major cities in the u.s so if i wanted to call uh crockett promotions i'd just get the white pages for charlotte north carolina look up crockett promotions and then i'd uh i'd have once a month i would call every office in the united states begging for them to train me to be a professional wrestler because it wasn't a proliferation of schools at that point. And um, they'd either laugh or if they were bored, they had nothing to do. They'd talk to me for a while. Usually they'd just tell me, shut up and hang up the phone, you know, and I'd call back next month and did that for several years, you know, just continuously bothering people in the wrestling business to train me. But that was uh, that was the that was the persistence that paid off though. But what if it wasn't? Um, so that, that was a couple of years after you discovered wrestling that you went. This this is what I want to do. Um, what would yeah. it have, what would it have been had it not been for wrestling? I don't know. I never had a plan B. There was no there was no plan B. Um, uh, it was this and nothing else. That was it. <clears throat> But that's amazing so, to be so like at such a young age, just so laser focused. So as you're saying, you're walking to the library every month and calling around everybody. Who was the first person that eventually, you know, who wasn't winding you up, who eventually just went, all right, come on in, come say. Actually, it was Gene, Gene Anderson. Uh, at this point, I was I had been calling for four, about four or five years um, consistently. I uh, got a hold of Gene Anderson one day in the office and he and Oli were having a um, tryout. Um, you know, in October, I think I, I reached him like in June or something. And, uh, I remember it was, it was more about, I got a hold of him. I had just, uh, graduated high school. Um, and, uh, um, he, uh, basically said that they were holding a tryout, uh, in October and, uh, you know, it was $250 to basically 
uh, come down and try out, which was basically $250 to get my ass kicked, you know? Um, and that's, that, that was it. I, I got my ass kicked and sent back home. And then I found somebody to train me and got into business and would sit across the locker room from him and he and Oli and just smirk and go about my day. So you were, so this was like, again, this came after, this came after years of you sort of putting in these calls. So am I right yeah. in thinking that you were sort of trying to find the sides of wrestling yourself a little bit and sort of training yourself no. at that time? Oh, you have to, you have to understand that um, uh, everyone misunderstands. And then the term that you protect the business, meaning that you don't divulge that it's predetermined. I know that uh, here in the United States, the general fans have known that wrestling's predetermined since the 1920s. You know, I know in England, I remember um, watching Monty Pythons in the seven, early 70s, okay? And I remember them doing a skit. This was in the early 70s, keep in mind, okay? And with World of Sport. And they did a skit where there were two wrestlers, you know, would, uh, and they'd lock up. And as soon as they'd lock up, they'd, Hey, hey, you're coming over for tea this, you know, tonight. And and then the guy, you know, would say something back, and they'd have, they'd have a cup, they'd have a conversation between the two of them whenever they were tied up, and just be as cordial and as civil as possible. And the minute they got away, they'd uh, hey, you, uh, make it look as violent as possible. So they were making a joke of wrestling and it not being real. Um, back in the in the early seventies in in England, so you know people have known that to protect the business isn't to to finish the point. To protecting the business wasn't um, necessarily divulging that. Um, protecting the business was not allowing just anyone in it, and mm-hmm. so there were very very few wrestling schools, and they were very closed. And because of the fact that used to there was a standard that was held, and if you trained if tom tom trained someone else then tom was held accountable and if that guy did anything to hurt business then that affected tom's career and tom wasn't too likely to just bring anybody in for the fear that it could affect the way he fed his family that's gone now that's 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 a thing of the past now we have a proliferation of schools everybody's got one no one's held accountable with who they train or bring into the business and uh, as a result, the, you know, there's no real standard. There's no bar anymore that people have to reach. Um, it's not an achievement, per se, to get into the wrestling business anymore. But that's what OV. That's why OVW is particularly special because I know that you guys, uh, you're the 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 only wrestling school in the world with that accreditation as a, as yes. a from the state office as a trade school. And and yes. I've I've explained this to to I said to my good lady and she's horrified by the fact that if and you use me as an example there, like if I wanted to set up a wrestling school, all I really needed was, you know, and, and was to somebody who had a wrestling ring somewhere I could train and set up a limited company. I could do that on this laptop in about half an hour. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. I'm training. It's wrong. That's it's it. so wrong. Yeah. It's 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 uh, disappointing, disheartening. Um, it's insulting that my my wife is a licensed masseuse. She has to uh, to be a licensed masseuse in um, in anywhere in the United States. That you know, she has to attend a state accredited trade school for massage. She has to be taught by a state accredited teacher. She has to complete a certain number of educational hours and then a certain number of, of 
um, you know, hands-on experience of, of, you know, being taught as she's doing, um, you know, the actual skills before she could even take a test to get a license as a professional licensed masseuse. As a professional licensed wrestler, you can spend, you can, in any state here in the United States, you simply send in your money to the commission and voila, you're a wrestler. That's it. Can you see that changing at any point? No, no, I can't. Um, uh, Unfortunately, I wish I could. Um, You know, that was the why we, uh, my partner, uh, Chad Miller and I took such an endeavor of trying to receive that accreditation as a trade school. For one, it it is, it is a trade school because it's not like kickboxing or martial arts or boxing or MMA. We're not, you know, it is an athletic endeavor, make no mistake, but we're teaching young men and women uh, valuable skills to pursue a trade, to be able to build a career and um, exploit opportunities to, you know, be able to, you know, uh, have a job as a professional wrestler. You know, the, I think everyone forgets the, the, the first part of professional is profession, meaning it's a way to derive an income. It's, it's a, it's a vocation, it's a job. And, um, you know, that part of it's gone out the window. Now the majority of, uh, young men and women, because of the lack of opportunities, um, it's now more of a hobby. You know, it's not a sole means of income or way that they pay their bills or make a living. It's, it's, they do it on the weekends and they work another job during the week. And, and so, you know, the focus, um, which I've talked about numerous times, the focus for the performer has changed. It's no longer, you know, how can we motivate the largest group of people to want to pay to see me? It's now, how can I get the best critical acclaim for this particular match that I'm doing. And those are those those two objectives are completely diametrically opposed. And it's just part of the wrestling one how it's changed from like you, you know, compared to like you making those walks to the library, making those phone calls to now where you're at a point where not only are you you spearheading stuff in OVW, you've been you've been doing wrestling training all over the place. I know you opened the Al Snow Wrestling Academy in the UK. Uh, is there yes. a, is there an affinity with with us here in the UK that you've got Al? Yeah, I love, you know, uh, with um, the UK, I've been there, gosh, for years, and I've been there numerous times, and, and I always, I enjoy the fans, I enjoy, you know, performing there, um, and uh, I've always loved the rich history of, of wrestling that wrestling has had um, there in the UK with World of Sport, and, you know, um, and the, the great uh, workers that have come out of there, you know, back in the day. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I've always been a big fan of, uh, all of that as much as possible. When you are over here away from doing wrestling stuff, is there stuff that, uh, about the, the culture in the UK that you like to, to take in that you might not get a chance to do at home? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, one thing I, I find always is that, um, um, in my uh, partner over in England, uh, Simon Miller, um simon uh god i can't remember simon's last name uh is that uh you know i notice all the cafes all the restaurants have tables outside and if the sun's out boy you guys are out it doesn't matter if it's if it's freezing 
it's hey, the sun's out and we're outside and we're going to sit out here. We're going to be wrapped up in blankets and, and jackets and, and hats and gloves, scarves, but we're going to sit outside. You know why? Because the sun's out and that's what we're going to do. It's so true. <laughs> we're here in, in, the, in the United States. Like there are some restaurants that'll have a, a seating area outside occasionally. You know what I mean? And you, you would never go out there unless it's it's beautiful and warm and you know it's summer but england if it could be right now today and if the sun was out it could be below freezing and you guys would be outside enjoying <laughs> the day <laughs> i've got to say i've got to say that when the when when we started coming out of that first lockdown and they they opened the pubs again but only yeah. to sitting outside uh, I I think eleven thirty. I went. This blue sky. We'll, we'll get grab your coat. We're gonna. We're going for a pint. I need. I need a yeah. pint in, in the vicinity of a pub. It's been too long. Yeah. So we're like yeah. that hardy bunch or yeah. idiots. Either or. Mainly a bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> when when are you coming back to the UK? Any plans? Uh, I hope sometime uh, here in the near future. I, I've had a couple people approach me about coming over, um, both for you know, training seminars and for uh, like a like a stand up or spoken word tour, you know, where I tell, you know, similar to Mick, tell stories and stuff. I actually will tell jokes, though. I don't know if they're all good, but I'll tell them. So <laughs> you'd appreciate Tim Vine over here. I don't know if you're familiar with the comedian Tim Vine. Uh, may, I might might know of him. I, I, I love English humor. It's so dry and it's it's. You know, and again, very quick, very witty. Like you've got to catch the, you know, um, the connotation of what they're saying a lot of times, and uh, and I like that. I like the more intelligent the humor, the funnier I, I find it. Well, I just I I must admit I got um a a, a good reaction. I've got a good vibe when you mention Monty Python because it's a it's a big part of gorgeous British comedy history is Monty Python. It's the, oh sure yeah. Just, just history, history making comedy where they just went. You know what? We really like the body of sketches, but punchlines can be a chore. So we're just going to get rid of punchlines. <laughs> That's brilliant. It's incredible. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to move on to your your next wrestling match. So uh, we have Belter okay. from Georgia. What would you like your second match to be, Al? Uh, uh, I'm going to say Hogan and Andre uh, mm. from WrestleMania three. The reason that I I say that is that without that match. Um, what we have today, wrestling is what we have today. We wouldn't have, um, it wouldn't, you know, uh, that was a, that was a defining moment in the history of professional wrestling. If that, if that match had not drawn, uh, what it drew as far as an audience and the success it had, um, Vince McMahon, I think was facing the potential of going bankrupt, going out of business and, um, you know, uh, you know, he, he was walking on a razor's edge. And, and if that had happened, this the entire uh, business of professional wrestling around the world would dramatically have shifted, have changed. Um, don't know if it would be for the better, per se, but a lot of what you, of modern professional wrestling, you wouldn't see, would not exist if it hadn't been for the success of that match and the attendance figures. 
what I love is that when you watch that match even today, the the visual of it is still so awe-inspiring when they have the long shot and you just see nothing but the, it's dark, but you can just see people, you hear noise, and then there's Hogan and Andre in the center of it all. And even now it looks yeah. impressive. And the biggest thing, you know, because I, I have this debate um, a lot of times um, because WrestleMania 3 was where things really started to shift and change within the wrestling business, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, that was where, you know, the Steamboat Savage match was proclaimed that it was the best match on the show. And everybody now subscribes to that theory, which, you know, even as a fan, I, I was just blown away by the match. I just, I loved it. I thought it was incredible. Um, from a wrestler's perspective, because my pay is based off of how many people attended and how many people watched. So thank, thank you, Hulk Hogan and Andre for, you know, doing so, you know, because that number of people paid to see Hogan and Andre that they didn't pay to see Savage and Steamboat because if they had, they would have been the last match on the show. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I bet if I ask you, you can relate the entire match of Hogan and Andre back to me. You can't do the same with Savage and Steamboat. Yeah, because the Hogan Andre match is far is it's very much a very basic arrangement for that but match. It doesn't matter if it's basic or elaborate. What matters is did it connect with you to where you can remember? Because the only reason you're able to remember such distinct details is because it made an emotional connection. That's how the human mind works. It's true. It's true. I even remember like the fact that I remember they had the face off and for whatever reason, one of them moved and the camera moved away and, and you lost that establishing shot. It's a really random bit that I remember, but I remember that remember being it. a thing that happening. If I remember but you it. remember it. Yeah, you remember it because it was that's how that's how your brain operates is that if it's if it's of emotional content, if it's an emotional thing that you connect with, you mem your memory will be much more sustained and will be much more vivid. Where, and that ultimately is the goal of the, of the art of professional wrestling is, is the art of physical storytelling within the competitive uh, situation that elicits a very strong emotional reaction out of the audience. One that, that will make them remember those moments for the rest of their lives. And it's, as you say, it's a, it's a match that Vincent Mann very much banked on uh, doing yeah. well for the sake of the things that were coming forward. Do you remember your first meeting with Vince McMahon? Oh yeah, very well. Yeah. Had about a uh, two hour long meeting in his office. Um, and um, I mean, we spoke at great length and, um, you know, uh, he was an awesome guy, um, you know, and uh, um, both times that I went back, I went in the first time with WWE and then I went, or WWF. And then the second time when I went back, to what was then WWE, um, both times it was because of my direct conversations with Vince, no one else. I didn't you know, speak with anyone else. I spoke directly to Vince. Vince is the one who brought me in. They say uh, that the, sort of the people that Vince really sort of gels with the most, the people that come in and are just flush with ideas and creative that they want to get across and they can get across quickly. Was that a similar thing with you? Was there a lot of hive minding over ideas and stuff that you wanted to do? Well, um, Vince had at that time, the first time he had a very distinct idea of what he wanted to do um, because of the popularity of uh, the Power Rangers, Mortal Kombat, um, and uh, other um, vehicles uh, as such. 
he wanted to emulate or try to emulate something like that in the ring. You know, he had tried uh, a character with PJ Polacco, um, with um, um, Aldo uh, Montoya. Aldo Montoya, yeah, where he wanted to try and emulate to some degree the, you know, the um, martial arts or the uh, Mortal Kombat and craze at the time. And I remember us having that conversation and him, you know, speaking about. Um, the fact that uh, Mortal Kombat, I believe it was, you know, at Radio City Music Hall had had, had a, I forget what number of day run and was renewed for another whatever ridiculous, it was like a record setting run and they had sold out every single day that they had been on tour at the Radio City Music Hall. And so he wanted to emulate that success in wrestling. Um, and I think a lot of, you know, I think, uh, WCW Eric Bischoff wanted to do the same, you know, where he wanted to capitalize and Glacier and they had uh, um, uh, Steve Kenyon was uh, Mortis and, you know, they were going to have one or two other um, Mortal Kombat-esque type characters. And I think that was, that was a very popular approach was to, to try to capitalize on that at the time. So you were you were with the company as Avatar very briefly, and you've talked about it in lots of interviews. So we're not going to go into like the the weeds on that because I know you've talked about it loads. And sure. it's 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 a, but what the what the other thing I want to ask about it is because we do another podcast with Cultaholic where we basically been watching every episode of Raw from the very beginning, and we've just watched Survivor Series '95, and we were excited to see you, and you weren't there. Yeah, yeah, I I, I couldn't. Couldn't tell you exactly what was, you know, uh, what made the decision to replace me. I'm sure it was expected me to get over stronger um, in, than what they, you know, were disappointed with my initial performance or whatever, um, I would imagine. And uh, as a result, you know, I uh, was left off the uh, card and I was replaced. So don't know what, you know, I would speculate because I've never been told exactly what the reason was for, but I'm sure that was, you know, they were probably... I would imagine if it were me, if I were booking it, I would have booked it in a way because I was a brand new uh, guy in the territory. So, you know, I had my debut match um, just a few weeks prior to that. And then what I would have probably done was built the match um, at Survivor Series around, you know, uh, featuring that char avatar character and using that as a platform to really springboard it forward, you know, to make you know, make it bigger. You, were, were you were you there that night though? Were you on? Uh, so no, I was not there that night. Of right. Series, no. Fair enough. Fair. We just we wondered because we watched it and then I, and then I remember that you and I were chatting. So I thought I'll at least pick your brain on that while it was fresh in my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they but obviously you go on to do there's 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 so many uh, incredible things you did during your time in WWE. And then one thing I want to ask from the ECW times. Um, are you a Prodigy fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah? again, it's another great example of like Al Snow loves the UK with with Prodigy getting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ECW. I loved, yeah, I love Prodigy. So, did you did you choose that music for ECW? Then was was Breathe your choice? No, uh, Paul Heyman had picked that um, even before um, you know we had we're up, before I had created the head gimmick. Uh, Paul had had decided to you know give me that entrance music, and I think that was because Paul liked it. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, you can't get away with that kind of stuff these days where you use licensed music, you know, just willy nilly. But, uh, you know, Paul would use the licensed music to accentuate 
um, you know, guys and, and give them a better opportunity to get over because it was a popular song and, you know, the audience already knew it, recognized it, liked it. And, uh, and then they, he, would, he would attach that to a particular performer and then that would give them a, a, a boost, you know what I mean? Because the audience already liked the song when they heard it, when the guy was coming out. So of course they're going to react. Yeah. When you, uh, when you were in ECW, uh, when Head was born and all that came together, you've got the Prodigy theme tune as well. Did you think that it would explode to the extent that it did? Well, I, I can't say that I, I knew because I did. Like, it's hard to say, but sometimes when you're too deep in the forest, you, can't, you can only see your tree, you know what I mean? And you can't take in just really how how surprisingly over it got and how big it became um, at the time because you're too deep in the woods to figure you know to be able to have that perspective. Um, I wish I had at the time. I'd have made better decisions uh, business wise and career wise. Um, but uh, um, I fully intended the reason I tried to quit. I've told this story before. You know, at the time I was I, I was so frustrated and, and had a bad attitude, which. A large part of that was because I would point the finger at everybody else than at myself, you know. And then once I started realizing I could only control one person in the equation, uh, things got better. And I made the decision. I tried to quit WWF. I sent in my request for my release and they rolled it over. And, you know, because they rolled, they had an option to roll my contract over. So they, didn't want, they wouldn't let me quit. But they weren't at that point in time, not, you know, up to doing much else with me at that point. And I was very frustrated. And uh, thanks to, you know, uh, my great friend, Chris Candido, who went to bat for me to Paul and Paul went to Bruce and, you know, I was put on loan in ECW and I, cause I knew, I knew I had to go somewhere else and get myself over, make my, reinvent myself and get myself over so that they in WWE would see me as the new star or WCW and Eric Bischoff would see me and see either WCW would pay to steal me or Paul would pay to keep me or WWF would pay to get me back. And, you know, that was, that was the sole reason I went there was because I knew that if I stayed in WWF at that point, that I would always be in the same spot. The perception of me would always be the same. It would never change because I needed to go outside and let them within WWF see me on someone else's TV as a star. That would then allow me a better entry back in. Were you surprised that WWF uh, brought Al Snow complete with Head and that whole um, that whole world that you created? Were you surprised they brought all of that wholesale into the WWF? Well, they it was it had an audience. You understand it already. You know the objective for I try to explain this to to young people today, your, object, your objective is not, your goal is, which it is for them is, oh, I just want to go to WWE. Everyone today that enters the wrestling business or really quite anyone that pursues anything today, unfortunately, all it's all destination-minded. It's not, it's not doing it because you love it. It's not doing it for a passion. It's doing it because I got to get to this place. I will define my success by that destination that I arrive at, okay? Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, and I try to, I don't try to dissuade, but I try to enlighten uh, young women, men and women that your destination isn't what you think it is. 
Like when you get there, now you have something to lose. So the pressure, the stress uh, is immense because you, every time you walk to that ring, you're only, you're judged by that time you walk to the ring. You're not judged by years of performance of a track record or a history. You're only as good as the last time you performed. And, you know, everybody, you know, it bemoans and it's, it's, you know, it's tough, tough situation as far as the uh, releases are concerned that recently have happened. You know, I, I feel you, but uh, number one, understand this, this isn't, this is an opinion. It's not a matter of if you will eventually have your run end, no matter where you are operating, it's when will it come to an end, okay? That's gonna happen no matter what. You're going to, your run's gonna come to an end. Whether you work for WB, work for WCW, work for three letters with a W in it somewhere in the world. At some point, it's gonna to come to an end. Your objective when you get there is to maximize that opportunity of the exposure that that particular platform offers so that when that run comes to an end with that particular company, you are now a viable draw, an attraction that then can go on other places and give that particular other platform value by allowing them to know that you'll be able to draw an audience to see you somewhere else. So your objective prior to reaching your destination of WWE is to do everything you can to make yourself an attraction by yourself. And you can today because the young men and women today have an immense and amazing tool that we never had back in the day. We had to rely 100% on a promoter and his television outlets. That was it. Okay. Young guy, young girls and guys today, um, they can they have social media, they have YouTube, they have TikTok, they have Twitter, they have Facebook. And if they use it correctly and intelligently, they can build their own brand to a point to where when they do arrive at their destination of WWE or now AEW, now you're less likely that WWE is going to foist on you something of their own creation that you no longer own. And no matter how successful you are in WWE as that particular brand, it's now their intellectual property. So when you leave, you got to leave all that behind. And so that brand, that, that name value that you, you built, you can't take with you um, because you didn't have it when you walked in the door. And, um, and as such, your value is not the same as it would have been if you'd have been able to retain the, you know, the very same name and brand that you built for all that time that you were at that destination. So the objective is get out there, use every tool, you know, use social media smartly. I know you all love to share every aspect of your lives. And unfortunately, we get to we get to witness it and then watch you melt down and go, mind your own business. Well, then stop putting it out in the public. <laughs> then, <laughs> you know, that's it. That's it. You nailed it. <laughs> you know, don't go complain to the neighbors when they are putting their opinion about your relationship when you had a fight out in the middle of the street for the entire neighborhood to see, you know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Instead, make yourself two social media platforms. One, who you really are, you know, and only to your friends and family. The only ones that you truly know, they get access to that and then share whatever you want to share, you know. 
I woke up today and my piles are burning. Uh, <laughs> then make a public one. And 24 hours a day, seven days a week, always be the person that you're selling in public, that you're selling on your wrestling shows, that you're selling on podcasts, that you're selling in the ring. Be that person 24 hours a day, seven days a week on social media in the public eye. Because that way now, the audience can believe in who you are. And if they can believe in who you are, they'll believe in anything you do once you get to that point. And, and that's invaluable because without that belief in who you are, no one's ever going to pay to see you. And if no one's ever going to pay to see you, there is no reason in the world that anybody with any type of intelligence at all is going to invest the, a massive amount of time money and effort it takes into putting you on that platform of theirs in hopes that they can help you to become more of a star so that they with you together can make money and get a return on that investment plus a profit and if you you can't demonstrate that they're not going to do it so you can have that destination all you want in your head of oh i want to be in wb oh, i want to be in wb you ain't doing anything to make yourself a value to WWE and a, and a belief that if they put an enormous amount of investment in you, that they're going to get that money back. You're never going to arrive at that destination. Who is somebody on the circuit right now that you think is using those tools to the very best of their ability? Oh, well, you know, uh, obviously uh, the young bucks did it masterfully. You know, they were, uh, they were a team that, you know, um, that used social media to literally build themselves into a place to where they're involved with AEW, not just on camera, but behind the scenes in a, a very, you know, powerful place. You know what I mean? And, 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 and they built themselves to a point where they own the original intellectual property. They could leave AEW as the Young Bucks and go to WWE as the Young Bucks because they own it. They made it. They built it on their own. Whereas if they had been in, let's say, AEW and nobody had ever known or heard of them as the Young Bucks, but they um, amassed an enormous following from their exposure on AEW, well, then guess what? AEW now owns the Young Bucks. So now when they leave, they can't go to WWE and be a Young Bucks. They got to go to WWE and be whatever, the new, new rockers. And... <laughs> And uh, that Steve was Cassidy 2.0. Yeah. There you go. Steve Cassidy 2.0. And, um, and, uh, and then they can't capitalize on or bring that audience that's brand aware of the Young Bucks over to WWE with them. It's a lot more of a challenge to do so. We, we mentioned 2.0 just there. Um, obviously, yeah. you know, NXT has recently gone through quite a substantial amount of changes. And um, I know as some of yourself who is doing some, some wonderful work as part of OVW, um, do you watch sort of the, 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 trans, the transformation that has gone on there? And, and, and what are your thoughts on what you see? Uh, I haven't. Um, just simply because I'm so busy with OVW, I really just don't have much time to watch other circuses with other monkeys. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Was that was trepidation in, in taking on OVW to the extent that you have? Sure, yeah, absolutely. You know, you've got a, a brand that's it's had its ups and downs, um, but it's been in existence for 30 plus years. So now, you know, if, if I don't make it succeed, um, you know, that, that's a black mark on my name and, you know, in my reputation in the wrestling business, in the wrestling world, you know, I'm the guy that killed OVW <laughs> and, you know, uh, nobody's going to know of the challenges or the frustrations or, or, you know, how difficult it is to really accomplish what I, what I've been trying to accomplish, you know, even my other partners, um, you know, they're not, they don't have a stake in the, in, in, in the wrestling world as much as I do. Um, they're not going to carry that on their name. Biggest, the biggest rib I've ever perpetrated on myself was, Hey, buy a wrestling company. It'll be fun. They said, Hey, <laughs> but you are having fun though. Cause the nightmare rumble was a, was a, was a great well, night I, and I, it was well, I do. I, I do have a lot of fun and I do get a lot of, uh, satisfaction and, 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 and I want, you know, I desperately want to, um, build something that one gives young men and women a chance, a real chance to learn the real art and uh, skills of professional wrestling that aren't being taught anymore. Uh, I want to build something that um, a young man or or woman can come here and learn, and then they can, they can um, develop and um, 
they can make a living doing this and nothing else. Like they don't need a part-time job. They can, I, you know, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a professional wrestler. That's it. I want to build this to where other wrestlers that have had, um, you know, uh, exposure on larger platforms and have had their run um, have a place that they can come make a living and be able to reinvent themselves and, and potentially, you know, um, reinvigorate and reinvent uh, what they do and have another opportunity back with that same, you know, bigger platform. Um, uh, and and, and in, in, a, in a place that um, is, is, uh, is more in tune with what the real art of professional wrestling is, which is to work an audience. Um, to work someone is, to, is a con, it's a sham. It's, it's to make someone believe a lie. And there only is only one lie about professional wrestling. And that is, is that the outcome's predetermined. That's it. And that's been lost. You know, the, the, I call them performers. They're not workers because they don't work an audience anymore. They go out and perform a wrestling match um, that really doesn't even remotely resemble a wrestling match as much as it does an arcade game, a uh, video game. And um, the endeavor now is no longer to be the most convincing to now uh, motivate you to want to see, pay to see them in greater numbers. The endeavor now is to um, be able to entertain the very same wrestlers in the locker room that you just walked out from um, more so than the audience, um, you know, to get their appreciation of the fellow wrestlers and to get a critical acclaim of the match, to get someone who has never once done this in any form or manner to crit critically appraise your match and say, oh, that was really good or that was okay. Um, and God help you if they say it sucked. Well, now, you know, the wrestler has a meltdown, you know, and it never used to be like that. You know, the endeavor was to go out there and to do everything you could 24 hours a day, seven days a week to allow you, the audience member, to suspend in your disbelief, believe in who that person was, and to preeminently believe in why they were wanting to wrestle the other person. You know, what was at stake? And you could believe in that because now the, the win and the loss had gravity. It had consequence to it. It meant more to you that the guy that you liked won. That's gone. That's, that's, that's slipped away. And I, I very desperately want to reattach that, um, you know, um, to, to what the wrestlers are doing. So that then as an audience, you can, you can lose yourself and you can enjoy it and just be a fan and have fun and not critically, you know, uh, inspect the show as you're watching it, as if you really have the knowledge of the inner workings of wrestling. I'm not saying that as a, as a, as a, uh, a point of degradation. I want, I want people to understand that um, when I say you don't have any real knowledge about professional wrestling, it's because you don't. You know, well, I, 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 I go on the internet and I read all the reports and I, I listen to, you know, um, all the podcasts. 
I watch every show I have for years. I've been a fan for years. Well, congratulations. And thank you. I genuinely appreciate your passion because without you, I wouldn't have a job. Okay. But that's like saying that I love medical shows, that I watch every medical show that's ever been on TV. Every one of them, I never miss them. And I go and read the New England Journal of Medical Science every day. And I Google my own symptoms every day. But does that make me a doctor? No, it doesn't. Mm. It makes me a lunatic for believing I'm a doctor, but I'm not. <laughs> we live in a world full of information. But unless you have information and a commensurate amount of actual experience with that information, you have no real knowledge. You don't have any real genuine understanding of of, of the particular topic. You have information about the topic, but you don't have a real understanding of the concept of the topic until you have actually lived it, breathed it, bleed it, eat it. You don't know. That's the truth. This is what, um, but this is what, again, like the social media has done to so many. And this is a, a sort of a topic that we keep looping back to. It's, it's because sure. it's, it's everybody not only has access to all information and everything all of the time, but like everybody now has a platform and everybody can cool. now be a spokesman. Everybody can start a podcast. Everybody can start a YouTube channel. And, and all of a sudden you, because of that, and you kind of get put, you almost, you get put on pedestals by people. You do get that those ideas of grandeur of like yeah i yeah i know wrestling i can i can talk wrestling i know the business when when, when truthfully like i'm i'm sat with yourself who will know more about wrestling than 99 percent of the wrestling podcasts out there this one included because you've done it all and you've been everywhere you know right and that that applies though to everything and the the the, the real sad thing is because wrestling fans are incredibly passionate fans you know especially if you you really foster that, you know, what, what wrestling is supposed to do, which is that belief in who the individual is and why they're doing it. Um, but the problem is, is that, and this saying is, is so true, familiarity breeds contempt. And the more familiar you become with something, the more contemptuous you become of it. And, and, and that, that's not the fans' fault. That's the, that's the performers' faults, that they open the door too wide and they, allow too much information to the wrestling fans, not because we're trying to hide something and we're you know, operating some incredible conspiracy theory where really all of us have been replaced by aliens and that's why we're able to physically do what we do or something. I mean, it's not that. It is that by keeping that curtain drawn and, and not releasing all the information, we create a, an air of mystery and, and in a of feeling like that you know the wrestlers are now on a higher level they're you know they're you know and, and not fostering the belief that oh well it's you know i i know about it anybody can do that you know um you know it takes away the specialness you know of, of the professional wrestler and the in that intrinsic uh rock star vibe that they all used to have it's gone now but it's something that you're fostering as part of OVW and it's something that you're trying to, uh, to, yeah. to reattach, as you say, to, to wrestling. And, and I know, and I want to really use like, cause you now we've got OVW stars on this show for the next couple of weeks. We're going to be chatting to uh, a, a fair few of them, but I, what I want to do, cause people will know the name OVW. They'll know the names that come from there. Your Randy Orton, Shelter Benjamin, your Brock Lesnar, your Dave Batista. Yeah, there's so many more. There's, I mean, literally so much I, more. We, we probably, I think we went down the alumni list and it's, it's over 200. It's amazing. That, yeah. That have come out of OVW, you know, 
Cody Rhodes, Sean Spears, uh, you know, Ryback. Um, uh, I can go down the list. Miz, Maven, uh, you know, Beth Phoenix, uh, um, uh, Alicia Fox, uh, Maurice, um, uh, Rosa Mendez, uh, ODB. Um, I, I just keep, I can keep going down the list of, of wrestlers that have been developed and have went on to great and immense success. The top ones, the obvious ones of Cena, Brock Lesnar, yeah, you know, they're like, uh, you know, they're like the Mount Rushmore of OBW, you know, but there have been literally so many more that have went on to have major careers, not just with WWE, but, you know, with major platforms around the world. But with but obviously OVW is still all about the now and all about the the future of wrestling. So for for those who are getting plums back into OVW, for those who want to who are going to be uh, watching shows on the channel going forward, who would you say are those people that are going to be carved into the Mount Rushmore in years to come? Who do you who are you enjoying, especially the work of in your OVW at the moment, Al? I I enjoy them all. Um, you know, I can't pick one or a couple, because if I do, I'll, I'll unintentionally leave some out and then they'll hear this podcast and they'll be like upset or insulted. And let me tell you something, wrestlers are probably some of the most neurotic people you'll ever <laughs> want to be. And then the minute that they don't hear their name mentioned, even though I'll, I will have maybe thought of them and I just forgot or, you know, or I'll actually have a very high opinion of them, right? Uh, <laughs> If they don't hear their name, they're going to sit on the couch in front of their television set, not watching the TV, having conversations in their heads that will never occur um, or have never occurred about how much I clearly don't like them and, <laughs> and, and how I am the reason that they are not succeeding and they're not achieving the goals they want to achieve because I personally just have it out for them. And and because clearly I, I hate them because if I didn't hate them, I would have mentioned them as one of the many that the people should pay attention to and watch at OBW. That so is a very diplomatic I want, to, I, want to, I want to avoid that because a lot of these calls that we've been getting will be probably some of those if I do that. So <laughs> make sure you mention me, Al. But no, that's a that's you a good shout. Me. Oh, what did, did you, I do wrong? Did you what say did my name or not? Did you say my you name? Hate me. You clearly you like so and so more. <laughs> no, I hate all of you. That that way it's, <laughs> it's that way it's fair. It's equal opportunity hate, and that's exactly yeah, as it should that be. Way there's no favorites because I hate all of you. So <laughs> Especially when you call me when I'm doing other stuff. God. <laughs> we've got we've got your third and final match to get to for okay. tonight, Al. So we had the, the Georgia Championship Wrestling Showcase with WrestleMania 3 mentioned in there as well. What would you like your third yeah. one to be, sir? Uh, I would say, uh, the, uh, and you could pick any one of them, quite honestly. Um, uh, two, well, two, two different ones, actually. Uh, the Flair and Steamboat run and the Flair and Ricky Morton run. Oh, right. Because they're both like, right, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, Flair right Steamboat there. comes up on here a, a fair amount. There's a lot of love for Flair Steamboat. But Flair Morton doesn't get enough love on this particular oh, no. show. I know. No. I feel like we should lean towards that one. Yeah. Yeah. So Morton, Ricky Morton is so underappreciated 
and understood and misunderstood. Everybody's like, oh, well, Ricky Morton was so great because he can sell. Yeah, if you understand what the term to sell really means, everybody assumes that sell in a wrestling match means to act like you're hurt. And that's not what selling is. Selling's not to convince you that I'm hurt. Selling is to convince you that what just was done to me might make me lose. Therefore, you care about it because you can't relate to the pain, but you can relate to the fact that I might get one step closer to being beaten. If you And to sell is not just on defense when you're having things done to you. To sell is on offense. To sell the intent that you're doing whatever it is you're doing to beat the other individual, to convince me, the audience, that you're using what you just did to gain an upper hand and maintain that upper hand so that you can beat your opponent. That's what selling really is. And Ricky Morton was a master of it in the sense that just something as simple as a guy my size, I'm 6'2", 240, I lock up with Ricky Morton, I push him back in the corner. If I don't get out of that corner too quick, Ricky's coming forward and he's got his fist cocked and he's going to fight. And that makes you, the audience, believe that regardless of the size difference, that this guy, Ricky Morton, can and will potentially find a way to at some point beat the other guy and win. And that's the joy of Ricky Morton. Oh, he's brilliant. He's, he's, I watched one night, Tom, in North Carolina. It was just some little independent show at a, at a, at a uh, armory, right? The genius, which I've known for decades. I've known Dick Ricky for years. But um, watch him and Bobby Eaton. Watch this whole show. Most of the night, it's as if the crowd's under threat of gunfire, that there are armed guards positioned in all four corners of the ring, and they're going to shoot anybody that makes a noise, right? Bobby Eaton comes in, and I hear him talking, hey, Punky, uh, you know, I'm not feeling too good. Uh, you know, I don't want to take a lot of bumps. Ricky's like, ah, don't worry. So he said, it'll, it'll be fine. That's all that was said. Nothing else. No long dissertation between the two of them of involved conversation where they're and now the debate of who takes what, who does this, and, and then they separate, and then they go and rehearse it mentally in their heads. You can see them reviewing, and then getting back and re-going over what they did, revising, and now go out and do exactly what, none of that occurs. None of it. I don't feel good. I don't want to take too many bumps. Don't worry, right? Lock up. Bobby pushes Ricky to the corner. And as they're about, you know, takes their time and they're about to do on the break, Bobby punches him in the ribs. And the way that Ricky sold it, Tom, you'd have thought he had been shot from the grassy knoll. I mean, it was, it was incredible. Sells all the way down to the other turnbuckle. Why does he sell all the way down to the other turnbuckle? Well, because now those people on this side of the ring get to look at it too. And Bobby follows him and ba-bam, does the same thing. Ricky follows all the way down to the, sells all the way down to the next turnbuckle. Hey, you guys get to take a peek. Goes to take a swing at Bobby. Bobby ducks it, throws his arm up, slams the same rib side of the rib cage into the turnbuckle. Ricky sells down to the fourth and final corner. Bobby now gets in there and gives him one last shot. But Ricky sells out to his knees in the center of the ring and the building is going crazy. 
because of the way it was done, the way both of them so masterfully sold that one punch was incredible. The intent and the way that Bobby made it look like he really hit him and the belief of the reaction of Ricky was just astounding. And then Bobby puts him in an abdominal stretch and the place is now just vibrating, going crazy for Ricky Morton. And they didn't do anything, nothing. They went for another probably eight or 10 minutes and then Ricky rolled Bobby up and one, two, three, and the place exploded, came unglued. I mean, it was, it was, it was just brilliant. Or, and I'll give you one last story too. Um, my wife and I are at the fairgrounds in Nashville, Tennessee. And, uh, you know, we watch this match. Uh, they go for like 25 minutes. And let me tell you something. I don't know what they could have left that they didn't do. Uh, with all, you name everything they did, dives on the floor. Again, the crowd is if they were Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper, sitting there like they were a painting, right? Not, they didn't care. Tracy Smothers comes out. God bless his heart. Oh, here we go. And I go, I tell my wife, I go, watch this. He walks out there and starts to cut a promo, has the place, it's a sold out building at fairgrounds, has the place going crazy. Here comes Ricky, place explodes. They honestly do nothing. And there are people on their feet screaming and going insane. Um, and just the match before, they maybe went eight to 10 minutes again, and the place just off the charts. The one before it 20 plus minutes and did everything other than throw a bag of cats on each other. <laughs> and as if they were under a, a hypnosis spell, the crowd didn't make, make a sound, didn't care. You know what I mean? Uh, just brilliant. Just brilliant. I, it just, you know, um, and that's the art that's missing. That's been lost, you know? Uh, we we are they're also caught up with um, today the young performers with work rate which I have no understanding or concept. I wish somebody could define to me what that term means because again to me a work is to make you believe a lie. So is a work rate the the speed that I'm able to make you believe that lie, or is it the rate of the number of times I've been able to make you believe that lie? I'm not quite sure what exactly that work rate actually is. <laughs> <laughs> but what I love about doing this show is that like we'll talk, you know, I'll ask you to pick some matches that you love and it's hearing someone like yourself, Al, who when they talk about it, like you, your, your body language changes, you light up and it's just, it's a handy reminder in what can be quite a cynical world sometimes that you know wrestling is great. Sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> that's, that's the optimist in me coming that's out. That's the, <laughs> the world in general is so cynical these days but it's a great chance to be reminded you know what wrestling just it makes you feel good no matter sort of oh, when yeah. the decade was it just grabs you and it's great you know and it, i love it when you know i you know i always use this when i, I talk about collar and elbow you know and, and wanting to create you know wrestling shirts that if you're a wrestling fan you get it if you're not a wrestling fan and you wear it you know nobody's gonna walk up and go hey Hey, that's wrestling shirt. You know that stuff's fake, right? And it's like, well, congratulations, Murder, she wrote. How long did it take for you to figure out the clues, Angela Lansbury? You know, you, you don't want it to be real, okay? 
when it was real, okay, it was boring. You want it to be fake, that the outcome is determined. You want it to be so that that way you can enjoy it. And also you don't have to feel guilty feeling like you're having a great time watching human cockfighting as well. You know, you can say, ah, well, it's not real. It's no big deal. You know what I mean? Um, and you can enjoy it, but I've got to be able to allow you, the audience member, to be able to suspend your disbelief and believe in who I am and why I'm doing it as much as possible so that you can then be entertained and have those, those moments you always remember, even, you know, years later that you're like, oh, I remember that time when so-and-so wrestled so-and-so and they did that, like I did, you know, when I relate the story about Dusty coming through the audience, you know, and it just so, the visual of it just caught me, you know, and the emotion of the audience caught me, you know, and that's what I think makes wrestling so amazing and so uh, great and so much fun, especially live, is that it's it's really it's such a unique art in the sense that it's it's 100 live it's never going to be repeated it's only going to live in that one moment and your interaction and reaction and exchange of energy with the audience is what creates that unique space and time for that one moment that will not even if you wrestle the same guy the next night is never going to happen the same way twice Absolutely. Al, if people want to get in touch with you or reach out to you online or, or find out more about uh, the amazing work you're doing at OVW, where can they do that? Well, first, I have a great um, profile on America's Most Wanted. Really gets me out there. <laughs> they get your best side. <laughs> yeah. And they never get your good side. You know what I mean? Never. <laughs> Damn mugshots never get your good side. Um, if they want to uh, follow me on uh, Facebook, uh, it's, the Al, it's Al Snow or The Real Al Snow. Um, um, I have two Facebook pages, public and, a, um, and then mine, me. And um, then on Twitter, on Instagram, on uh, TikTok, um, you can follow me at The Real Al Snow. Yes, there were some actual fakes. Um, and if you are faking being me, and I've said this before, I will message you and all I will say to you is, really, can't you aim the bar higher? I mean, <laughs> you're going to fake being a celebrity. Why not be Brad Pitt or The Rock or <laughs> Batista at least, or, you know, John Cena, or, you know, somebody like that. It, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to fake being Al Snow. <laughs> what do they say? When, I, I, Listen, I presume I this is a real conversation me. that you've had. Where you, where that's oh, the real con Yeah, I'm like, I'll answer back. I'm like, look, I wouldn't even fake me. What are you doing? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're like, hey, I'm going to set the bar right about here. That way I can slip right in under the radar. Nobody's going to pay any attention. You know? <laughs> Uh, Alice otherwise been... i don't know why you're doing it because it's not like i'm a ladies man i get chicks or you know or i'm look just <laughs> you do yourself enough. a disservice you do yourself a disservice but i it's been, it's they, been... Want to, they wanted more information on uh, ovw they can go to ovwrestling.com um we are regionally uh, throughout the state of Kentucky, um, we're on, in, on broadcast TV and WB, uh, WBNA in Louisville on Thursday nights from seven to nine. 
Uh, we are in Lexington, Thursday nights at 10, Friday nights in Bowling Green, Hazard, Saturday mornings. We are across the nation in the United States on about five or six different uh, national networks. YTA is one, uh, Game Plus, and the Action Channel uh, with a total reach of close to 100 million homes nationally. We're on Sports International, a European sports network that reaches about 700 million homes internationally. We're on Fight TV every Thursday night from 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to 9 p.m. Outside of WWE and AEW, where the, I believe, and I could be wrong, and somebody I'm sure will call me on this, um, um, we're the only promotion that does live television. Uh, every single week. We are one of the longest consecutive episodic television shows in the history of television and operation. Still today, we're one week ahead of SmackDown on number of total episodes. If the weather holds out, then tomorrow will be like episode 1174. We will reach episode 1200 this year in September, I believe. And um, which will be another milestone. Uh, we reached 1,000 and 1,100, and now we're working our way to 1,200 consecutive episodes of television. Um, we're the only accredited from the State Office of Proprietary Education as a trade school for professional wrestling, sports entertainment, and broadcast in the world. You can go to aswa.live for more information if you would like to attend the training school. And um, I have my comic book coming out. Uh, the new uh, new issue. I have the Ballad of Al Snow and Head, and then this is the Adventures of Al Snow and Head, where we team up with Chavo Guerrero Jr. in a western, and he rides Pepe the Stick Horse. So, uh, so how did that come about then? Like, how did how did you get into the world of comic books? Uh, a comic book publisher uh, contacted me, and. Um, had an interest in wanting to do stories based on the character Al Snow and Head. It's not a wrestling biopic. Uh, you know, it's true to the wrestling character of Al Snow and Head. Basically, I'm crazy. And um, and has wrestling elements in it. But like the first, uh, uh, first issue, which is a 40-page issue, um, is, is uh, it begins in a wrestling ring. And I get like knocked out or, or knock silly and then i'm in a post-apocalyptic world where i run a detective agency and i overhear that a barmaid had her heart stolen meaning like she's in love but i think she literally had her heart stolen and i now am on the case <laughs> and uh, try to retrieve her heart for her which i do retrieve an actual heart but it's not hers um and then um, the second one, um, The Adventures of Al Stonehead, uh, is like a, the old Marvel team up. So like I'll, um, this one and this issue is an old Western with Chavo Guerrero. And then um, the next issue is set back in like the Prohibition days, uh, the gangster days with Tommy Dreamer. And, um, and then we've got one in like an old uh, Carnival days and Jesse Goddard's is uh from big brother fame is in, in that one as well and that's where we introduced the swarm which was a a, a gimmick that we were going to do in wwe potentially that never got done 
And that's where I would have command of like 20 little people that were all dressed alike under my control that would attack <laughs> me. So, but the great thing is because of the character, um, all of these adventures like post-apocalyptic world, Western, the 40s, one of them is going to be an underwater adventure. I think the next ballad of Al Snow and Head is where I'm a secret agent infiltrating the enemy to the north, Canada, which I believe is like Russia. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm a secret agent like James Bond in my mind. And so, because it all takes place up in my head because I'm crazy. So this is, this I sounds like a really and, fun project. This is I, in, in, in the second ballad of Al Snow and Head, where I'm a, a secret agent, I uh, invade Canada. And um, I punch uh, like an old woman in the face with, you know, uh, she's like 70 years old or something. And she's like a politician or something. And I just fall off and deck her. So, <laughs> well, this sounds like a fun comic, despite that. It sounds like a good time. Yeah. That's ace. And, so, and so, where's and that? Where can people get that from? Well, uh, brokeniconcomics.com. Uh, a lot of, I, I'm flattered and blown away by the number of. Um, really top name people in comic in the comic book industry. Guys have worked on Game of Thrones, uh, worked on tons of Marvel and DC projects. Amazing, just incredible artists, um, you know, that are uh, um, working on this and, uh, you know, pencilers and inkers and uh, artists just, I was really, really flattered and really blown away by the people that wanted to work on it. And uh and it's it's been doing really really well. It's been you know really great. So brokeniconcomics.com, you can get a. We're gonna we're just about to here this month. We're gonna release uh, the adventures of Al Snow and Head, the team up with uh, Chavo Guerrero Jr. The Western. So um, very entertaining. Look. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited to see it. Thank you very much, and thank you for for joining us on the island today uh, for well, you, for this wonderful chat. And I have to say thank you to you as well because uh, I had a period, you know. You know, a bit of naval gaziness, but I had a period as a wrestler, as a lapsed wrestling fan. I came back in February of 1999, and my first show back was St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And it was watching you fighting in the Mississippi River that made me realize, actually, I've really missed wrestling. And, yeah. and, and I haven't been away since. So, so genuinely from me, sir, uh, from the heart of my bottom, thank you very much indeed uh, for, well, for bringing I, me back to wrestling. <laughs> I really appreciate that. It made worth risking my life and almost drowning. It's all <laughs> worth it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
for all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes. Search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 